Good morning. I've had a few things on my mind, and then when Rob Sullivan from Believer Stewardship Services came, I went with him uh, Wednesday night to Monrovia Gospel Hall, thinking I was going to hear <clears throat> about the archaeological digs, but he changed what he was speaking on, and he went right back to proper stewardship. And are we good stewards of what the Lord has given to us? So I'm going to hit on a few of those ideas. Uh, one thing that was said today, two things that were said today, was we need help for TNT. And we need help for Awana. If we consider a lot of times stewardship, we think about the Lord has given us so much money-wise, house, the things that get us through daily life. And are we proper stewards giving back a portion to the Lord himself? But what was said today kind of expands my thinking. Are we proper stewards of our time for the Lord? Are we giving back? They need help. Are we thinking, okay, they need help. Or are we thinking they need help? Is there something I can do? All the things that happen in this assembly, we need assistance with. Are we giving of our time just as we're giving of our funds? Are we giving to the Lord? And we need to go back uh, I apologize to those that have been in the Bible study over the last uh, uh, few months, actually. But we're going to go and look at the first church in uh, Acts 4, and we're going to start in verse 32. We need to see a comparison of what the church did then versus what the church does now. How do we reach out? In Acts 4 and 32, the church is already, the Lord is, has uh, been crucified. He's uh, risen. The church is being emboldened. The uh, disciples are reaching out. Many, many people are coming to the Lord. But what was their thinking as the first church? And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart, and soul, not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord, Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sale. So the first church, if they saw a need, they gave. They didn't give to the individual, they gave to the disciples. In our case here, we give to the church. A lot of times on the check, it will be written, this is to go to whoever, the, the uh, missionary, the work, that kind of thing. And I'm not saying any of that is wrong. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying look at what they did in the first 
church when they first got together and what we do today. We get together, we look at needs, we ask, are there any people, any missionaries, any works that need to be supported? And we do support many, many works on a monthly basis. Are there any that need to be added to that? When we gave this morning for our offering, did we do it because of habit? We give. Or did we pray and say, Lord, make the need known that I have on my heart or make the need known to me that what is given will go, that will honor the Lord Jesus Christ the most, where the need is the most. We heard TNT, we heard Awana. There's many other works here, Boys Brigade, Sunday School, that need help. Are we praying for those things? So that's a thought. If we look at the first church, there was love. Love for Christ, but that love manifested itself and it became a love for all the, all the other brothers and sisters in the church. With that love came giving. They were willing to give everything to the church. And that's what they did for the benefit of others. Some argue that that was temporary. And it may be that's what it was. It may be that what happens today with uh, uh, the standard thought is 10%. Scripture really doesn't tell us 10%. It tells us many ways that we can help and many ways that we should be involved with our fellow saints. The... Uh, Apostles in uh, chapter 5 were built up in their boldness. And we look at uh, the fact that chapter or verse 14, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. The church was exploding, it was growing. The more a church grows, the more need there is. We see that here. The more people, the more things that have to be done. Somebody has to put together the emblems in the morning. Somebody has to open the door. Somebody has to turn on the air conditioning. Somebody has to put together the, the uh, snack between the meetings. Somebody has to set up the speakers. Somebody has to run Sunday school. It never stops. So we have to be praying, how can I be a proper steward? And what can I do to help in all these processes? We cannot pay back the Lord for the gift that has been given to us. I try to volunteer as much as I can. And that's because in my mind, I have to pay back the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only for salvation, but for saving my life many times, for watching over me, for giving me the kid, giving me what he's given me. I know I can't pay anything back. I can't pay it back, but I have to try. I have to look anytime something is said, how can I help? And sometimes I can't. Sometimes I can. We all need to be looking that way. We all need to be in a position that people are watching us like the church 
and it's growing by multitudes. Growing by one is fantastic. Growing by many is really fantastic. We look at verse 20, how bold the disciples were actually in 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. This life is the Christian life, the new Christian church. Go tell everyone. And boldly, they went to the temple. Even after just being jailed, boldly, they went forth. Now, if we see uh, that we are instructed in Scripture on things we should be doing, and some of these items are the things that Rob Sullivan brought up and I've looked at. He just gave uh, scriptures, looked at it and tried to say, okay, where was he coming from in his thinking? And we don't have to turn to it, but Proverbs 23, 4 says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. So my thoughts are not we need to go out and make a bunch of money and then we can give it away. That is not what the Proverbs says. If we look at Matthew uh, chapter 6, and verses 19 through 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. We look at the thought here that everything changes. We have uh, uh, things that are stored in our houses. But the law in California says if a thief breaks into your house, breaks into your car, basically it's no big deal. They're not going to be prosecuted. If they are, they're going to be let out of prison in a short period, out of jail. If we consider this and our thoughts are on earthly treasures, that can be taken away. We need to consider those treasures that are in heaven. What are we doing for the Lord that others look at and say, he is a witness for the Lord. She is a witness for the Lord. And that's a treasure that you would be rewarded for in heaven for what you've done. We don't do stuff for the rewards. But the good things we do for the Lord, people look at that. That may be part of where uh, the church grows because of something you've seen. I'll give an example of that later with someone. In verse 21, it says, For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So if I'm constantly thinking of money that is in a safe deposit box, doing nothing, growing 1% interest, that's probably where my thoughts are going to be. If my thoughts are on the stock market, 
I'll probably have a heart attack. The way it's up and down and up and down and up and down. Something good comes up, the stock market goes down. Something bad and the stock market goes up. It's hard to understand why it does what it does. But if our mind is on earthly treasures, that's what we're always going to be thinking about. That's where our heart is. If our treasures are in heaven, then our interest and our thinking will be on heaven. What are the blessings that we see that has happened? In Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. We look at that a lot of times when people are first saved, they want to keep one foot in the world. That is the same as what is being talked about here, being written about. We have our thoughts on the Lord, but our thoughts also are on that party coming up Saturday night or whatever we're thinking about. We need to think about the Lord if we are saved, if we have truly given our life to him, and forget about the things that we do in our daily life and not be thinking about those. A new believer needs to concentrate on the Lord. I think Justin's a, a perfect example of that. He's saved. He comes back and he starts five Bible studies a week. And he does that, I believe, for over a year. Did he have thoughts of the world? Sure he did. We all do. But he didn't concentrate on that. He concentrated on his new belief and what he could do for the Lord. Not to earn anything, because that's already been given. But what can he do? In... A thought, if we decide, okay, we're going to do what the first church did. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to sell my car. I'm going to sell everything, and I'm going to give it to the Lord. I'm going to jump in 100%. Give it all to the Lord. I guess times must have been different back then, because if I do that, I, de I become dependent on my family and my friends. Who's going to pay the bills that I have and that are charged to me? I'm not paying it because I just gave everything away. So we need to consider and remember we do not forsake our family in giving to a work or giving to uh, this chapel, giving to missionaries. We still have responsibilities, and I'll give you a scripture for that. We have responsibilities that we have to meet. If there's funds left over, if we're not being crazy on the way we spend funds, then we need to be good stewards and figure out in prayer, how can we benefit the church? How can I bless the Lord by what I give and when I give? And sometimes it's as simple as that prayer when I give money to the offering and say, this is a worthy work. 
or letting the elders know uh, this work is saving souls. This work needs help. Tis nos pas. They need help. There's so many works that need help. We can't do all of them. But we can pray and try to be led and not put a burden on our family. If we look at, look at 1 Timothy 5, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. And this is where our thinking of when we give, and this is more speaking financially, but if you're giving of your time, it's the same thing. Don't forsake your family. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those in his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If we look at that, we look at the fact that true believers care for each other. I cannot, in good faith, give away everything that I have or give away too much and then go to someone else and say, hey, I got a bill here that needs to be paid. If we do that, what actually is happening, happening is the person that pays your bills is the one that gave to the missionary. You didn't. If you give away more than you have, and expect family or friends to make up for that? They gave, you didn't. Sometimes wisdom that we have as men is not practical. And I can show you the original bylaws of Western Assembly's home in 1951. And it states in there, rent for those that are at Western Assembly Home, will never go above $50 a month. Sometimes we don't know the future. So even though we are thinking this is best, it ain't gonna work. Western Assembly Home does not survive on what the residents pay. We would have been broke 30, 40, 50 years ago. We are dependent on gifts of churches, gift of believers, estates, different things, but giving. We are dependent on that. And we don't send out letters saying we need the funds. If the Lord wants us to have the doors open at Western Assembly Home, the doors will be open. We received a gift late or early last year that blew me away because I had gone and talked to these individuals. It was a uh, uh, organization incorporated 10 years ago. And I said, can you help with a annual gift? No, we don't give to old people, we give to young people. Okay, well they closed their doors and they gave us a large gift, which goes against all reasoning. But somehow they were led that their stewardship for the Lord, part of it should go to Western Assembly's home. 
We accepted that gift graciously, and it's being put to work for Western Assembly's home. Now think about $15 an hour. Every dollar an hour is $40,000 a year that goes out from Western Assembly's home. 50 bucks a month, it wouldn't help with that a whole lot. So that was man's thinking. The uh, verse 9, a widow is to be put on the list if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. I don't understand why 60 is put in there, uh, but it's in there. But it's apparent that the church, our group of believers, should have a list they did in those days of people we should be supporting. We try to look at that, and it looks like it's a scriptural thought. Why they said 60, why the men came up with $50, don't know. I've had some individuals at the home, and I've heard of over the years, this is many, many, many years ago, 20, 25 years ago, the person said, I cannot pay the increase in rent. Okay? That went on for a few years. When that person died, the kids got $200,000. Now that would be equivalent to probably over half a million today. But they couldn't pay the rent. Is that individual being a proper steward, showing proper stewardship as to what the Lord should be given. The work at Western Assembly's home and many, many other places where missionaries work is not their work. It's the Lord's work. So when we look at Acts 5, where... Uh, Ananias and Sapphira come and give. They sold stuff, but they gave half. They didn't give all. The problem was not that they only gave half. The problem was, as Peter says, you lied to the Holy Spirit and you lied to God two verses later. So it wasn't what they gave is that they lied about what they gave. When we see that, and I think about this person that said, I, I can't pay that bill. There was not proper stewardship to the Lord's work in that. If we look, continue in uh, verse 8, we see that we are to build our wealth if anyone does not provide for his own, how are you going to provide for your own unless you build your wealth? And especially for those of your own household. He has denied the faith. What is being said here is if a non-believer takes care of his family, which a lot do, and we don't, We've denied our faith by our actions. 
That's taking care of our mother, our brother, our taking care of our own. This church is our own. And we need to pray that we do take care of our own. Psalms 112, verses 5 and 6. I will go through a few different verses. We are to be generous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. For he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. It's very important that we live on a stable foundation that we will be remembered long after we pass away. And the Lord remembers that too. That we are gracious and that we maintain being gracious to others. Proverbs 6 and verse 8. A lady prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. We are to prepare. We are to save for later. What is being said here is not that we're, the emphasis is uh, that we're making provision. The emphasis here is we're working hard. We are a hard worker. We are putting to away. In the summer, we grow, we plant, and in the harvest, we've worked that whole time. So the emphasis on how hard do we work. And on the opposite side of that, verse 9, how long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? So you have someone working very hard and you have someone that is hardly working. To serve the Lord and to be proper stewards, we need to be active. We need to be working hard work to serve the Lord and to be good stewards. In Proverbs 13, Verses 11 through 13 says, Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. We should be working for what we gain for our pay. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. In 11, where it says obtained by fraud, do you know one-third of those that win the lottery are broke within three years? One-third. There's one man that they showed, he won $145 million. He was gone in three months. He was broke, filed for bankruptcy. <clears throat> wealth obtained by fraud or by anything from hard work dwindles. 
The one who gathers by labor increases it. Doesn't mean that we can't go broke and can't make a, a bad decision, but it does say if we look for the easy dollar, we didn't earn it. It's easy to dwindle away. I have a comment that I've made here many times in the past. If somebody goes to camp, they need to have a foot in the work. They need to do something to earn that. If not, it's wealth obtained. Anything but hard work dwindles. It doesn't mean anything to us. In 12, if we start thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ coming, and it takes forever and forever, that makes our hearts sick. Why is it taking so long? But when the Lord comes, it's going to be a desire fulfilled. And we're going to be so happy about it. In anything in our life, that's exactly what we're thinking. If we desire something and it's not happening, health. We have a few people in the assembly that are hurting. And it hurts us that they are not getting better. But when they step into eternity with the Lord, or they do get better, that changes and we have joy. We still have sorrow, but we have joy because it's over. In verse 13, the one who despises the word will be in debt to it. So if we despise the way that the, the Bible tells us what to do, we're in trouble. We need to be fully, fully accepting of what Scripture tells us. We are to plan for tomorrow, and that's verse 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays folly. We are what people see, and the church is what people see in us. If they see us planning, and if they see us putting together things that aren't going to fail, they go, oh, okay, they've been thinking about it. But if we go out and we all of a sudden fail in what we're trying to do, uh, that's what they see, a failure. We need to plan ahead with all the things we do. I'll just give you some verses here because I'm running out of time. Proverbs 16, 8 and 9. We need to be upright and just to all. In Ecclesiastes 11.2, we're to carry our own cross. And my thoughts on that is we need to invest carefully, not on a gamble that may or may not happen, and we need to pay our own bills. We need to take care of our responsibilities before we jump out and take care of other people's responsibilities. Luke 14 says we need to be aware of what we have. And it's broken down there into two different parts. It's uh, a man that is building. And he starts to build. He puts down the foundation. And then he realizes, I don't have any money left to build the building. That's foolishness. That's what people see in us. We need to be aware, do I have enough to give away half to 
Western Assembly's home, <clears throat> to the Lord's work. If I don't, then I can't give that money away. There are thoughts that, well, the Lord will provide. <clears throat> what if he doesn't? What if that wasn't his will? Now I've saddled my family with the rest of that problem. Part of this is also uh, warfare. <clears throat> if I'm going to battle, I'm a king, and I'm going to battle, and I have 5,000 men, and the who I'm going to battle has 20,000 men. I got to think about that. Can I win this? Scripturally, yeah, there's a lot of times it happens. Is, does the Lord want me to go into battle? But what is being said in Luke 14 is actually the Lord giving examples to the disciples. He's saying, are you willing to give away everything to follow me? Are you willing to pay the cost to wholeheartedly follow Christ? and to be his disciple. So when we look at that, the, uh, he's telling them, don't start strong and then fizzle out. If you're going to follow me, start strong, stay strong, and end strong. Take a look at what you can do and what you can't. Do you have what it's going to cost to follow me? So he's speaking of two different things there, of uh, a building and of warfare, but he's talking to the disciples. So he's talking to us. Do we have what it takes to help Arawana? If you start, you need to finish. You need to be strong all the way through. So it's another just example. When we look at who can be used to push forth the gospel. Look at Peter. Peter in Luke 22 and verse 54. I'll just go through the verses quickly. Peter followed at a distance from the Lord. The Lord's already uh, being taken to be uh, crucified. In 56, they say, you were with him. In 57, he goes, no, not me. In 61, Luke 22, 61, he remembers that Christ said, you will deny me three times before the cock crows. There's no way Peter can be part of the church. But in Acts 5, 3, where I said Peter is standing there in the new church He's the leader, one of the main leaders. He's talking to Ananias and he's talking to Sapphira. And he's telling them, here's what you've done against the Holy Spirit. Here's what you've done against God. They both fall dead. Peter is instrumental in the starting of the new church. But yet, look at his background. If we look more, look at Paul's background. Paul writes 13 books of the scripture. Is he involved in Hebrews? Who knows? But at least 13 books. 
And if we look at him in Acts 8.1, Saul, who becomes Paul, was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church. We look at 9-1. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, the church, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. There's no way this man could be part of the new church. Not in my thinking. But if we go on, verses 3 through 18, we see Paul. The conversion of Saul as a believer of the Lord goes on to write 13 books in scripture, goes on to be a founding part of this new church. I read a few weeks ago about Larry Price. There was uh, the book uh, that comes out monthly. Larry Price will be speaking at the Dove Conference along with Joe Reese. This is a man that was not raised in a Christian home, but they did send him to Sunday school. One of those verses hit and stayed in his brain. He, by the age 15, had tried every drug there possibly was. He had given up on any kind of leadership, people telling him what to do. He went to prison in Florida. He went to prison in Georgia. They let him out. He was going to do uh, 75 days in a uh, transitional facility. He was going to go to college. Within a few days, he was back in jail going to prison for the third time. He was ready to kill himself. He was done. Suicide. He made a call because he remembered that verse. He made a call to his uh, handler that was supposed to be working with him in this halfway house. Ended up where the family were believers. They were having a Bible study. They sent the preacher over. Larry accepted the Lord in a prison cell en route to his third time in prison. He didn't go to his third time in prison. He accepted the Lord. In prison, you can get any drug you want. You can get anything you want. He had no desire. He did not take one more step backward away from the Lord. <clears throat> Larry became a full-time minister. And he's not ashamed of his background. He tells it. Can this man be used? If you were watching him grow up, you would think, no, he can't be used of the Lord. <clears throat> but he is. 
Last Sunday, we had Andrew Barrera brought a friend named Nathan. Andrew accepted the Lord at this assembly. I think it was at camp, but he was going to the assembly here. Dorothy Elliott made a comment, what a change in this boy. What a change a week makes. He was an unbeliever on Sunday. He was a believer on, sun, on the next Sunday. Things happened within this boy's life. He started praying at home for the meals. He started helping discipling his sisters. He became a backslider. He went away to college and he listened to the garbage that comes out of the socialist liberal professors. And he bought in on that. I did the same thing for different reasons in Vietnam, in the army. People didn't know about me. We knew about Andrew because there's a thing called Facebook. Andrew was putting out things that made me unfriend him. I gave up on Andrew. Just like I would have given up on any of these three others if it was me. Andrew came back and said, I'm away from the Lord. I should not be where I am. He worked with Dave in Bible study and speaking. He has come back to the Lord. He brought Nathan. He's been discipling Nathan. Nathan accepted the Lord last Sunday. Was it last Sunday or two Sundays? Within the last two weeks, Nathan came back to the Lord, or Nathan came to the Lord because of a man that I gave up on. We cannot give up on anyone in our family. Are we good stewards of what has been given to us if I give up on somebody and stop witnessing to them, stop praying for them? That's wrong. If we look at Awana, we look at some of the thoughts that just very easily that we can give to someone that is a non-believer. It's Romans 3.23. All of sin fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Romans 10.13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10.9, we have to accept the Lord as Savior. I've been a poor steward in not following through with those that need to be saved. And I can't give up on anyone ever again. That is not what we should do. I think Andrew is the best example of that that I have. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have given us directions in Scripture of how to live our lives, of what we should do. But Father, don't let us overstep what is physically possible, what is financially possible. 
Let us understand thy will. Let us understand, Father, what you want for us. And whatever we do, let us do it in a way that we are trying to make the Lord Jesus Christ be lifted up and honored. Let no things be done for ourselves. Father, help us to understand where needs are within the church. Help us to meet those needs if we possibly can. Let us be good stewards by praying that those needs are met. For those that are away preaching today at other assemblies, Father, we pray for journey mercies as they travel home tonight. We just thank you that this assembly is so blessed that we have young men that can go out and help other assemblies that need ministry. We pray for those assemblies. We pray for this assembly. We pray for Jennifer Brooks, for John Brooks. We pray, pray for Marta Dimitrescu. Many things are on their hearts, Father, and they're very difficult. Let us pray that they will be comforted, Father. We pray for healing if possible, if that be thy will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.